In the book, Navigating End of Time, Sheikh Asrar, he covers many aspects. Now, we're going to speak on the topic of Alamat al-Sughra, Qubra and Wusta today, along with the slave girl giving birth to the mistress. What does the Sheikh mean by that? Various different opinions could be derived. One of those is disobedience to the parents, which he speaks about. And then also we speak about the Arabs, the Bedouins, whom he covers and says, barefoot, naked, destitute Bedouins competing in constructing tall buildings. A very vivid description in this one sentence. But let's first welcome the Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome once again to End of Times. And uh, it's uh, an honor to be here. And we're going to be covering some of the topics that we uh, mentioned in the monologue and some of the ones that I've mentioned today. Slave girl giving birth to the mistress. You mentioned that in the book. And it's also one of the signs. What does it mean that she is giving birth? I mean, a woman giving birth to its own master, mistress. I mean, how would one take that? So this uh, statement is from the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, narrated in the Sahih of Imam Muslim, the famous hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, when he, he comes into human form, which is a form of tamthil, he enters this realm and he converses with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, described in the hadith, Shadidu Sawadi Sha'ri, extremely dark hair and extremely white garment. And then he converses. And the, the fourth question is with regard to the hour, a sa'a. And then the Ashratu sa'a are discussed. Famous hadith found in the Arba'een 40 hadith of Al Imam al Nawawi, memorized by young children. This hadith has. Some of the signs, one of them is that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress. And the hadith also has the sign of the buildings, the construction or compete, com, uh, competing amongst Arabs, Bedouins specifically, in constructing tall buildings. How, how about, I mean, a very vivid and descriptive sentence, barefoot, naked, destitute Bedouins. Yes, so the wording uh, this Al-Urat means naked, Al-Hufata, barefoot, herders of goats, but there is also uh, mention Al-Buhma, which is mute, which entails illiteracy, and there is more description within other ahadith with regard to these specific Bedouins. But the slave girl, Antalid al Rabbataha, the slave girl shall give birth to a mistress. You check the classical commentaries like Al Imam Nawawi, Rahimullah, and his commentary on Sahih Muslim. You will find that he mentions in previous times uh, some of the tribes would raid other tribes and they would take slave girls. And then what would happen? That slave girl would give birth to a son who may become the leader of the tribe. Mm-hmm. So some of them gave that interpretation. Uh, what I reference is a Sheikh Abu Bakr al-Adani, rahimahullah, he passed away recently. 
who was the leading expert on Ashratu Sa'a in our times. He has a work, Al-Usasu Wal-Muntaliqat. After Al-Isha'a of Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Rasul Al-Barzanji, this is one of the main primary uh, or secondary resources. The, the primary would be the hadith itself. Mm-hmm. But in terms of updating the, the commentary on Ashratu Sa'a, he mentions a cha- these two aspects of the hadith of Jibreel, what that entails, is that you have a scale of firstly uh, the education and the norms of uh, the cultural norms of respect for elders, the the balance of power amongst the hierarchy amongst uh, families. That the scale of that is tipped, and the second one mentions material buildings entailing a change in in city construction, how cities. Even how cities are constructed has a major effect on our psyche. For instance, if there is an open place for, for protest, uh, people can gather and protest. But if you have skyscrapers and people need to go into shopping malls, uh, they are in a controlled environment. Mm. So marketplaces, if you have the old Arab souk, the marketplace is an open and free place. But in today's day and age, like you go to Makkah al-Mukarramah, you have the, t- the tower and people go into the tower. It changes the mindset and the psyche of the people, even with regard to having a, a tall building to go into in order to shop, as opposed to having the open space where people would uh, shop in the... In the uh, souk. In the souk. But you mentioned that building. You mentioned that in your book, the yes. Makkah Tower. Yes. And it also the hadith also mentions that uh, they will compete in tall buildings. Okay. Yes. So we now see this shift in the competition from America. Back in the day, the Empire State Building was, was very famous. But now you've got the Arabs competing with each other. So you've got the, the UAE government building the tallest building, which they... Burj Khalifa. Burj Khalifa. Now you've got the Saudis, now they're building the Jada Tower. See, so, the distinction is yeah. when you had the World Trade Centers and you had the Empire State Building, America or the West uh, actually has a certain function with those buildings. The difference with the Arab Bedouin royal families that we have today is that the function is only entertainment. So uh, America, to its credit, benefits its own, uh, the, the ruling elite benefit themselves because they are capitalists. So the, the World Trade Center was an actual place for trading. But the Burj Khalifa doesn't even have a sewage system. So that entails that uh, these Bedouins are hiring Western corporations, Western construction companies to come into the desert and construct buildings, buildings that do not even have good city planning. Mm -hmm. And city planning changes the psyche of the people. How you design a city will affect the mindset of the population. This Burj Khalifa doesn't even have a switch system that every day uh, Indian, Pakistani and Bengali workers are ordered to take tons of excrement out of the building and take it out to dump sites because the the planner of the city did not even have the mindset to, to actually make a good switch system for the tallest building in the world. Mm. So that is indicative of a Bedouin mindset. Why Bedouin? The Bedouins are two types. You have uh, the, uh, the Bedouins who are ashaddu fil kufr, and you have the Bedouins who are good. 
So you check Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions with regard to Waqalat al-Arabu, the verses are with regard to the Bedouins. So these type of Bedouins are the most ignorant type of Bedouins, uh, the type of Bedouins that normalize with illegal entities and uh, colonial entities, settler colonial entities that we have uh, within the Middle East region. So these, Be- uh, these Bedouin settler, uh, Bedouin uh, families, they construct this tall building and some people, they think this is development. It's not actually development when you call in a foreign construction company to develop a building for you. It's development if you have the actual means and machinery to carry out that construction yourselves. But these, these countries do not have the facilities, the machinery, the construction companies to do that. So it, it does not entail uh, being forward-thinking uh, development. Some people think these places are developed. They are not actually developed. It's a, it's a makeup. Uh, on the country. It's on the surface. It's on the surface. Superficial. Superficial and on the surface, uh, but it's one of the Ashratu Sa'a. So now they've constructed the Burj al-Khalifa. The strange thing is, Al-Imam al-Qurtubi, in his book, At-Tadhkira, he mentions that this sign has already occurred in Andalus, in Spain, Islamic Spain, Mm. in that time. But now we know Qat'an, meaning decisively, that the sign has occurred in our times that these are literal Bedouin families because the rulers of Andalus were not Bedouins. Mm. These are Bedouin families that are competing with one another. And I've heard in Saudi Arabia they intend to compete with the Burj Al Khalifa now. Yes, the Jeddah Tower is under construction. Well, it's, it's in the planning stage, but they're now competing and saying that that is going to be the tallest building. In so the, the two signs, yeah. the, uh, the first one, Antali Tala'amatu Rabbataha, she gives birth to a mistress, which is uh, also the invert. The inversing of education. Hmm. So in previous times, education consisted consisted of learning Quran, learning the Sunnah, learning Arabic language. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the decline of Nahaw and uh, so, uh, the Arabic literature, literature yeah. uh, the decline yeah. in the Middle East, hmm. where young Arabs are not educated in Nahaw, which is so important. Yeah. Uh, they are not educated in Arabic literature. They are not educated. Uh, this was something some of our teachers in Damascus would mention, that there is an inverse in terms of the education that is given out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then uh, the scales of morality, the, the scales of uh, ethical behavior, the, the scales of the family, all of these things. Are you, you mentioned that in the book where disobedience of children is that linked to to that? I mean, how, how have you linked it and how have you interpreted that to some of the signs that we see today where children are disobedient towards the parents, where we see the parents fear their children? Now, that hierarchy, that level of respect and the way the role reversal that we see in certain parts of the world. So what happens in today's day and age is that uh, young children will treat their parents like slaves. That is an interpretation given by some. Hmm. But uh, if you look at these two signs, in the Hadith of Jibreel, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam pinpoints mainly these two signs. Uh, what is clear from the Hadith, that each sign is indicative of two major shifts in society. And these shifts did occur, they occurred 
post caliphate 1924 but pre uh, pre uh, abolition of the caliphate in the 1800s when you had the tanzimat movement mm -hmm. in the 1800s and also the industrial revolution so i covered that also did, yes. that mm. uh, there is a hadith with regard to when the uh, generally the scale of society was what that the people of the city were in need of the people of the country because the people of the country they would uh, carry out farming and that farming would benefit the people of the city but one of the shifts that occurs in the end of times is where the people of the countryside shift to the cities Mm -hmm. so urbanization something that we observe now with globalization urbanization is something that had a major uh, impact on the world especially post industrial revolution so the industrial revolution initially occurring in britain but then uh, the replicas occurred across europe and across the world to the point that china and india today re replicate that at the cost of the environment but you, it's interesting, interesting that you mention that. But here in Britain, we find that the farmers were given a subsidy. This is something that I wanted to cover by the by the Europeans not to grow crops. They were given huge subsidies, huge sums of money to leave their fields empty of crops. Uh, the reason for that is, like the UN, sometimes has. Uh, forces nations to only grow certain specific things in order that they can import other produce from other nations. Mm -hmm. So Egypt or Sudan being forced to only grow cotton, so the British could make cheap uniforms mm -hmm. in the uh, in the late 1800s. But when that country is struck uh, or stricken with a famine, then they are unable to have wheat and barley because they rely on imports. Mm. So uh, this happens through trade agreements uh, across nations. So Britain, British farmers being forced to do that is th is through trade agreements with the EU. Similarly, this uh, this expectation of farmers today to ban uh, to have a ban on farmers uh, having uh, b uh, rearing beef, meaning having uh, cows, yeah. because they claim the cows are damaging the environment. This is f a false claim. Because the type of uh, cow farming that is damaging the environment is the type that is done in South America where the South American rainforest is cut down to make farming land. That actually damages the, the, the rainforest. Yeah. But the why are they doing that in South America? To pay off debt. Who are they paying debt off to? The IMF and the World Bank, yeah. uh, which increases the riba, which also relates to Ashratu Sa'a, where in the hadith in the Sunan of Imam Abu Dawood, the Prophet ﷺ says, a time will come on the world where people will consume riba, and the one who does not consume riba, he will be afflicted by its dust. Mm. Uh, that time, alongside with the, the Bedouins competing in the construction of tall buildings, has had its global impact, meaning interest-based banking. So even the, the, the farming is affected by a riba, mm. to the point that this policy of abolishing uh, cow rearing in order to save the environment. These are policies that uh, need to be double-checked, meaning it's a policy that's based on fa a false premise in the first place. Mm. Interesting, very interesting. You, you mentioned the, the, the Jal system, the Dajjalic tribulations and the Dajjalic times. How do you differentiate between the three of them? So you've got the system that's probably, which some of the signs that you're discussing that we're talking about now, part of that. The tribulations 
and the times of the Dalek time. How have you differentiated between, between the three and what are the main differences of all three? So my methodology is primarily based on the Quran and Sunnah. It's not based upon conspiracy theory. As you know, one third of the book is in refutation of conspiracy theorists yeah. who misconstrue a hadith, misinterpret a hadith. Uh, the hadith mentions that no fitna occurs except it is in preparation for a Dajjal. I think the reference is in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. And by the way, most of the hadith in the work have been referenced to their primary sources, most of them, mm -hmm. overwhelmingly. And the overwhelming majority of the hadith are actually authentic. The overwhelming majority of the hadith. Yeah. There are a few that some people can give some criticism with regard to the chain of narration. But they have been cited by scholars of the, the science. So that hadith informs us that any tribulation that occurs actually weakens the iman. So that weakening of iman is preparation for a dajjal. Anything that weakens your iman is a, a fitna of a dajjal. Uh, secondly, any system, any power system, can be described as being a dajjalic. So, co currently speaking, we have a globalist, capitalist uh, system. This capitalist system can be described as a dajjalic in so many aspects, like the propaganda blitz that is. Uh, on the minds of people so many times, false news or uh, this, the spread of false news uh, within a short period of time. You mentioned the internet and you mentioned all these other things that are being used currently to spread false information. Corporate uh, media, for instance. Corporate media. In um, order to tarnish or uh, meaning tarnish the enemy or to undermine the enemy, this is done on the regular. And that's mentioned in hadith in mm -hmm. the end of times that the shayateen will spread in order to spread false news, uh, especially with regard to the sunnah, to, to harm the sunnah, meaning to misinform people with regard to the sunnah. Do you mention, when you mention this, is it within the Muslims or do you think majority of it is those people who are not Muslim and to try to damage the image of Islam around the world? Or do you think we're suffering that within ourselves also? So, because we have a globalization, again, we have a global village, the nature of the world has changed from the, the fiqh books of the, from a few hundred years ago where they would mention the division of Darul Islam and Darul Harb. Mm -hmm. uh, that division is more nuanced today in terms of we have a nation-state model. That nation-state model is uh, the post-colonial age. They say it's decolonization, but in fact it's not decolonization mm -hmm. because those nations are actually plugged within the IMF and the World Bank and the UN. These constructs are made institutions, post-World War II and post-World War I institutions that have been constructed by the power structure in order to uh, keep people in a state of subservience to, to the, the global order that we have. It can be described as a Dajjalik. Similarly, communism, when it was on the rise uh, post-Bolshevik revolution in 1917, communism was the Jalik without doubt. Mm -hmm. So even if capitalism falls and it's replaced by something else, uh, the, the Jalik nature of a power system uh, can be described as a Dajjalik system. This will continue until a Dajjal, the individual, appears. So currently, mm -hmm. when we describe the Dajjalik system, you have the proliferation of riba, exploitation of people through the banking system, you have a proliferation of propaganda blitz, uh, certain media corporations, 
they have false news, they will not mention certain things that are occurring in the world in order to frame a war, to validate war. You have the, the, industri uh, the industrial military complex of the world, uh, meaning countries are made to join NATO in order that arms manufacturers can then sell those weapons to those nations. Have a controlled system. Uh, an entire system, yeah. a globalized system. Uh, you have uh, nations, Muslim nations, that have an army which is actually selling and uh, manufacturing and selling arms to the enemies of Muslims. Mm -hmm. So where uh, weapons are exported from Muslim countries to Ukraine uh, in order to give uh, Ukraine bullets, but those same countries will not export uh, armaments to Muslim nations that are in need in order to fight colonization. So all of this is the Jalik in nature. But it relates to the Hadith the Prophet ﷺ said, two groups of people I have not seen from Lam Arahuma, meaning Sinfani min Ahli Nar, Lam Arahuma, two groups of people from the people of Helfa, I have not seen them. One of them was what? A group of people who leave the house in the morning uh, under the wrath of Allah, and they what do they do? They torture people. Allah. So, and when they return back under the wrath, anger of Allah. Uh, this tortures, uh, of, uh, torturing of the populations is also something that occurs in the modern age where the power system does not actually fear the population because governments have been armed to the teeth, meaning they, the, military, uh, the arms military complex is armed to the teeth to the point that they do not fear the population. In so when you mentioned torturing of the people, now it's not actual physical torture per se. No, it I mean physical torture. Physical torture. Physical, Emotional torture, physical financial torture. There is also PSYOPs. You have PSYOP yeah. operations on mm -hmm. the population. You have torture of the people where you, you have black operations. You have black sites where the secret services of any nation, they could take people to a black site, torture them. But there is also mental torture, psychological torture. Financial torture. Uh, financial torture is through the banking system. The banking system, The yeah. riba, meaning people are enslaved to the, to everyone is worried about paying off their mortgages, uh, which is a scam system in itself, meaning house prices. As we're on the topic of mortgages, I mean, you've mentioned mortgages, and I know you've, you've, you've spoken about mortgages in your speeches. What's the real opinion? Now, some ulama have given a fatwa that, yes, it's allowed. One mortgage is allowed. One house is allowed because you need to stay. I mean, I just some of to them have given that. some of them have given a fatwa that uh, buying as many properties as you want. This is a pr uh, this is promoting capitalism within the Muslims. So what happens? You have a Muslim tycoon who will buy multiple properties, and then what will he do? He will charge tenants uh, extortionate amounts for their rent. This is not the way a Muslim should be. Hmm. Meaning uh, pure capitalism. Uh, so uh, migrants who come to the UK or to other countries, a Muslim landlord charging them extortionate rent, mistreating them. Uh, so this fatwa is a misguided fatwa. Riba is haram hmm. by ijma'. By ijma'. It's qat'i in the Qur'an. Meaning riba is haram. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited riba. So... Some people say they quote a passage from the Hanafi books, La Riba Baina Harbiyin wa Muslim fi Dar al Harb. Now, this passage is mentioned in the Hanafi fiqh books, is, is referring to an active Harbi. So these people then say mm -hmm. England is Dar al Harb. 
but they enter through a visa and passports, which is in, it entails that we are mustamin, we are entering with what? With security. Yeah. So how can you frame England or these countries that we live in in terms of there's no active warfare because these books were written hundreds of years ago in a different world context. Mm. That world context was what where you had a Khilafah, there was Darul Khilafah, and anything out of the Darul Khilafah was Darul Harb. Uh, but it entailed active warfare because the Darul Khilafah was in active warfare with some of the Durul Harb, some of the countries that were places of war. So there are settler colonial entities, for instance, mm -hmm. in the Middle East, that where there is active warfare currently. So if a Muslim went there in the Hanafi school, he finds one of these occupying forces soldiers, uh, uh, not even a soldier, even a settler. An, uh, who is settled within the uh, the within illegal entity, within yeah. that illegal entity. Yeah. This is the Hanafi fatwa. You give him $10 and you say, pay me $100. Hmm. That's permitted. Hmm. So that's the actual fatwa. Secondly, the, the, some people, they say, they quote Sarakhsi's uh, uh, Al-Mabsut. In Sarakhsi's Al-Mabsut, uh, uh, he mentions that if you go to Darul Harb, you give uh, two gold coins, you give away two gold coins in exchange for one gold coin. They say, look, this shows that you are allowed to give riba, pay riba, mm -hmm. in order to receive a house. Mm -hmm. They quote this passage from Saraqsiz al-Mabsut. The response to that is, if they had uh, any knowledge with regard to currency, they would know that passage is referring to devalued gold coin, that you give two devalued gold coins to an active harbi, and you attain the pure gold coin, you are benefiting by taking them. Mm. In reference to active Ahlul Harb, like the Hanafi fatwas that mention the selling of alcohol in Darul Harb, mm. those fatwas are referring to, for instance, if you were in the illegal occupying entity that we have today in the Middle East, and to one of those active Harbis, you actually sold some commodities and you made money from them which is benefiting you and harming them because alcohol was seen as something harming them that would be permitted it's not referring to uh, entering a country where you are living with a visa or a passport and you actively then sell alcohol Na'udhu billah. Mm. that's a misguided interpretation now these people are very strict on the size of people's beards but very lenient on a riba yeah. or photography and video but they are, they are lenient on riba, which makes no sense because a riba is something clearly prohibited in the Quran and Sunnah. So, so those people who say that you're allowed and you are entitled to one property on riba, on a mortgage. That's based on a different reasoning. So yeah. that's based upon a darura or al-haja. Uh, is there an actual darura? Well, if you have a council house, there is no darura. If you have land and property in in Pakistan or another country, Bangladesh or wherever you come from originally, then there is no darura. Mm. So uh, the darura is case specific. Darura would be Sheikh Abdullah Sirajuddin, Rahimahullah, the most foremost hadith scholar of recent times and Hanafi jurist. He said darura here would be that if you were living, you were forced to live in a tent outside on the road. In this day and age, uh, they have these uh, homes, uh, shelters. Shelters. If yeah. you end up in a shelter and you need a home, then of course, and the darura is according to the size of the house also. Mm. So how can you have 
a palace that you pay through riba and then refer to that as a, a darura. That is not a darura, meaning a man has a palace, he pays through riba. So uh, this is, proliferation of riba is one of the ashratu sa'a, which is undermined. In fact, I went to Malawi. When I went to Malawi, they asked me about a riba and I said it's haram. And uh, the chairman of the masjid commended me. He said, we have so many ulama coming from these various other countries. They've never told the, the Indian community that lives in Malawi that taking bank uh, loans. loans with interest is haram. Mm -hmm. They've never informed them of that. So not only does it apply to homes, but it applies to cars on lease and on finance, on, 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 on all of this. I mean, as you mentioned, and rightly so, when you say that um, they are being tortured. Now, this is one of the forms of torture that they are cornering you into a system, that the Dalek system, as you mentioned rightly so in, in the book, and, and you've covered it today in the topic also, that people are being um, coerced into a corner of riba, of uh, financial burden. That's that's not, as you mentioned, the rura. It's not, uh, it's a, not a necessity. But... It's because they want to be a part of that system or they feel that they need to be a part of that system. They're being forced into so it. So the Quran states, riba, Those who consume riba, la yaqumuna, they do not stand up, illa kama ladhi, except like the one who stands, yatakhabbatuhu shaytanu min al-mas, the one oh. who is, uh, who is uh, touched by shaytan. Uh, you go to the London Underground, you see how people, uh, nine to five, how their minds are affected in order just to pay off mortgages. These muftis who give this fatwa, they do not realize how damaging riba is in England. How, how many homes are repossessed because people are unable to keep up with their payments? Exactly. Yeah. Thousands of homes are repossessed, so people lose their homes. They pay uh, tens and thousands of pounds as payments, and then they are unable to keep up the payments because they lose their jobs because of extraneous factors like COVID-19 or other factors due to which they lose their job and they lose their payments, they lose their homes. So this fatwa actually damages people. It harms them in the long run. They lose money. They may think that Muslims are benefiting because many of us have support systems, meaning within our families, but not everyone has this anymore. Mm. There are many Muslims who do not have a support system and non-Muslims who are harmed by a riba. A riba harms Muslims and non-Muslims. One of the signs that you've also mentioned is the the fighting with neighbors and the differences of opinion with neighbors perhaps is one of the signs of times. One of the Asharatu Sa'a, um, you, you've touched upon that. Um, but what I want to uh, move on to is... Um, there was also what I mentioned with regard to earning haram. Yeah. That a time will come up upon people where they will be forced to earn haram, where their family members will force them to earn haram. This is something that happens today. Additionally, if you remember, I mentioned the lack of real currency. Yes. And I, I mentioned the, the, the Bretton Woods Agreement post-World War II uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the in the 1970s of Richard Nixon in 1973 when they, uh, the dollar... It's, everything's pegged to the dollar. Yeah, and the dollar was pegged to gold, and then yeah. uh, the, the pegging of gold was finished in the 1970s, mm -hmm. and, and, and the world has fiat currency. But the hadith mentions that a time will come upon people where they will not find real currency. So today, the currency we have does not have any intrinsic value. It's different to reading a fatwa that may have been written 
in the 1800s, like Al-Imbabi wrote a fatwa on paper money, uh, the author of Hashiatul Imbabi, which is a, a commentary on the Umm al-Burahin, uh, uh, the commentary of al-Bajuri, and other ulama, they did write uh, on, on paper money, but those fatawa now, uh, those, those fatawa were written for that time and place, but post-1970s, the, the, the world order has changed. Uh, the financial world order has changed and that has ramifications upon the Muslims and non-Muslims. Exploitation is another another aspect mm -hmm. of Ashratu Sa'a. Mm. Exploitation. Now that takes many forms as we say, as we see today. I mean you've got slavery, modern day slavery which the the governments are now pushing and as we see mass exodus of people moving across continents which you've mentioned earlier when people have come migrate migrated um, is that one of the signs of huge again this uh, that would again fall under the corporate media propaganda there are not actually on mass movements meaning there are no on mass movements from the east to the west uh, this uh, that is how the corporate media frames the migration but foreign wars but we see, do I mean, cause you, displacement of population so we've had displ displacement of the rohingya in Burma, Burma. Uh, over 800,000 of them, meaning a clear case of je uh, ethnic cleansing. Meaning if you use the framework of international law, it yeah. would fall under ethnic cleansing. Uh, and unfortunately, Muslim majority countries like Bangladesh and Pakistan do not accommodate those people. So the Rohingya were placed, uh, were not welcomed by those countries. Pakistan, the Pakistani military, in fact, s sold armaments to Burma. Yes. Uh, the Pakistani military is actually uh, uh, complicit in many military deals which are counterproductive to the Muslim world. Well, so, one of them, I mean, recently we've seen the, the expulsion of the Afghanis from Pakistan. Now, as we speak, hundreds and thousands who migrated to Pakistan during the uh, Afghan-Russia war which was uh, funded by the Americans and at the time they praised the Taliban and they said oh these are the future leaders of the of, of Afghan well the Afghanistan. Taliban was not for, uh, formalized in the 1980s what became later the Taliban but the, what they referred to as the Mujahideen, the Mujahideen yes. uh, in the time um, of yeah. Ronald Reagan can you can you just elaborate on that and why was the why was the shift from the American policy they were funded against Russia. They were called Mujahideen and all of a sudden they became the enemy. Because As we're on the topic, I think it's, it's a good insight. Because you, you have an axis of resistance. So at the moment we have Western hegemony across the world, meaning the placement of various warships and army bases across the world. In that time it was in America's favor to fund the Afghan Jihad in order to repel Russia and its encroachment a communist encroachment into Afghanistan and the Muslims aligned themselves with the West at that particular point because we were anti-communist because communism is a enforces atheism upon its population and bans the deen of Allah but the American interest always remember that the the Western powers have their own interests in bringing out issues uh, for instance the Uyghur issue in China which has been described by the, the West as a genocide, mm -hmm. they will refer to that as a genocide. But when it comes to the Palestinian issue, the Palestinian issue, uh, 
uh, currently in Gaza will not be referred to as a genocide. They refuse to acknowledge that as a genocide. Similarly, uh, you've had propaganda blitz with regard to certain regimes in the re region. When it suits the West, uh, they will align themselves. So for every $15 of the CIA in, 2000, in 2013, uh, $1 was going towards backing certain rebel groups in certain regions of the Middle East. Mm. So these are vested interests in that region. That was the Arab Spring that you, you, you spoke about in, in the book. Yes. Uh, the, in, in various parts of the, of the Arabian uh, Peninsula. And as you mentioned, now a very interesting point that you made about the Mujahideen of Afghanistan and Jihad. At the time, in the 80s, early 90s, it was fine to speak about jihad, the Afghan jihad. And also in Bosnia, because NATO had its own interests in Bosnia. So uh, the Muslims who were m martyred in Bosnia, uh, it was fine for the West to promote and uh, declare as heroes those who went and fought jihad, because it, it was in the interest of the West. Like today, it's in the interest of Russia to send people to Ukraine or to send Muslims into Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So the, what we are observing is a, is a wrestling match between different uh, superpowers within the region. So when it suits them, they will promote Khattab, for instance, the, mm. uh, who fought against the Russians. His videos were banned for a l long period of time, post 9-11. But now his videos are available because it suits the the agenda of the West, uh, anti-Russian agenda of the West. So these are things that Muslims mm. should uh, should observe. An interesting point, an interesting point. I mean, you, you, you mentioned um, religious cults. This is something that I want to touch upon. And you mentioned many Dajjal. You've spoken about charlatan Sufis. Um, the religious cults, is that just Islamic religious cults or is that other religious cults? I mean, I, I know you've mentioned Sai Baba in the book and how he'd pull out the gold, gold coins and then he got caught subsequently and now he's in prison. But uh, Sai Baba's actually passed away. Is, is he passed he's away? Passed away he's passed yes. away. And then other one, you, you, you mentioned um, the uh, the other cults. The Gorshai. in the 90s who, who claimed that you could see his face in the Kaaba or the tiles of Mecca in the Haram and stuff. I mean, there's various charlatans that we've had. Some of them claimed to be Muslim. One of them, Qadiani. Qadiani. Yes. Yeah. I want to touch upon that. It's a very important topic to us, to the Muslims, um, to be made aware of his uh, lies and his claims. In fact, even the ICC, International Court, uh, the head of that is actually a man named Karim, who's a, who is a Qadiani. Mm. So the Qadiani sect or the Qadiani cult uh, is a cult that uh, has false beliefs. They believe in a man from Punjab who was Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. But the reason why I touched upon the cults, there's a reason for this. The main reason is the cults utilize end of times, doomsday prophecies. So that happens across the, the Christian world in the American Bible Belt. In Australia, you have false Jesus claimants. Uh, 
in Russia, you have recently a Russian false Jesus was arrested as well, mm -hmm. rightly so, for abuse. But these people, they misinterpret the Bible, the book of Revelations and other books of the Bible, Bible prophecies. But also within the Muslim world, we have movements and cults that misinterpret the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. One of them, for instance, was Juhayman al-Utaybi, mm. who violated the sanctity of Makkah al-Mukarramah in 1979, when him and his cohorts, mm. cohorts, they hijacked the masjid and they claimed his brother-in-law, uh, Muhammad al-Qahtani, as the Mahdi. And this was based upon misinterpretation of religious texts. It occurs, you have a tiered level. So you have extreme versions. This uh, Juhayman al-Utaybi being a very extreme version. Mirza Ghulam Qadiani being a very extreme version. But then you have lower tiers where you may even have Sunni groups that misinterpret some of the ahadith on the end of times to fulfill a motive or an agenda. And that is one of the primary uh, objectives of the book as well. In order to inform and educate Muslims that when you read the ahadith on end of times, there is a science in approaching those ahadith. You, you had an experience of meeting a man who claimed he was the Mahdi. Yes, in you Birmingham. In Birmingham. Yes. And then you, there was another man that you spoke about in the book that went to Umrah. He hid in the mountains. That was the one. That was Birmingham. the one. And then he moved in, into the mountains. He was, uh, he was uh, moved to Somalia. Then the British authorities brought him back. How was your experience when you spoke to him? I mean... He was not mentally insane. He was you mentioned that, but how, how can somebody in this day and age make such a ludicrous claim? And We should not underestimate uh, the impact of the ego, so the nafs. And this is actually antithetical to Sufi teachings because the, the problem is we have Sufis claiming to purify people of the egotistical behavior, but you have Sufi cult leaders that display some of the most egotistical behavior. Hmm. So uh, where I touch upon, nowadays people, uh, the term narcissistic personality disorder is thrown around too easily. In fact, narcissism is a very high degree, high level of egotistical behavior. It's, it needs to be psychologi psychologically determined by a, a Psych, uh, medical uh, profession. Uh, medical profession. So, those people they suffer from that, but they also misinterpret religious texts to exploit people. The exploitation will be either taking time from people, taking their time, and time is valuable, or sexually abusing people, mm -hmm. or exploiting them through financial abuse. Mainly, these are the three main assets as well. Uh, these type of uh, abuses that go on in these religious and non-religious cults. In the religious cults that you mentioned, I mean, we're living in the 21st century. Internet's available. Education is plentiful in around the world, even in the most remotest parts of the world. Education systems are implemented and people are taking advantage of it. How do you think it's still possible to be a victim of such abuse by spiritual, I mean, some of the beads? that you've mentioned, some of the spiritual leaders, the spiritual masters, the Sufis, the charlatans. 
how is it how would you advise the viewers not to fall into these traps i mean what is it that that makes them so, so gullible so literacy as you mentioned literacy literacy is uh, how i would define literacy it is not only learning how to read and write it's an active reading an active but not only reading and being exposed to information being able to process information so even if someone has a f smartphone in a village and is able to watch videos and uh, that give them information it does not entail they are able to process those videos for instance there are so many people who check symptoms medical symptoms on google but they have not been trained medically professionally in order to ascertain what those symptoms entail so they will read those uh, what those symptoms entail on Google and apply that in their lives. So the same with the Dean. You, you can have information, but processing that information is an actual uh, methodology that you only take from ulama, from real ulama, who, mm -hmm. who have taken that from ulama and they process the knowledge and are able to determine what uh, a particular verse of the Quran uh, entails or a hadith. So illiteracy is still very commonplace. So in Britain, for instance, it is claimed that there is 100% literacy. But is there really, you only need to observe the underbelly, the British underbelly, the, the football fans, uh, the, the, the behavior of the people. You attend even our religious gatherings. There is high levels of religious illiteracy mm. in the deen of Islam. So in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh, even even, even parts of the Middle East, yeah. there is a high level of illiteracy in the deen of Allah. Illiteracy in terms of knowing the Quran, knowing the Sunnah, knowing the definition of shirk, knowing the definition of bid'ah. There is so much bid'ah innovation within our communities because of that type of illiteracy. And then extremism as well, which is the opposite. Meaning, when you have Khwarij type groups, it's a form of illiteracy, it's a form of ignorance. Uh, thirdly, even if someone is educated in terms of having a degree or having a, some, some form of education, it does not entail they are educated in, as, uh, as a rounded individual or their character development has undergone uh, a deep uh, character reform. Or reform which m makes them more informed with regard to the world that they live in. But exploitation is a scam. So this is a racket. Uh, the peers are running a racket. The cult leaders are running a racket. Ulama, some of them, the ulama su are running a racket. The ulama su, the bad ulama, not the good ulama. How can a common layman differentiate between ulama haq and ulama su? Conduct. So uh, the one-to-one the, the -one conduct, but also every layperson, firstly, should learn aqidah tahawiyah a basic book in fiqh, a basic book in tasawwuf, a basic book in hadith, and, and the Qur'an. Once they learn this, they should then safeguard themselves. But what happens is people jump into a group or become advocates of one alim specifically without educating themselves to the point that they, uh, without educating yourselves in the deen of Allah, and then advocating for a person blindly is prohibited in the Sharia. And I prohibit students around me or people who attend my lectures from doing that with anyone.
that they first should learn the deen of Allah. And that was the purpose of highlighting cults. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have an extreme, like the Gohar Shai uh, type, that, that is an extreme of the spectrum. Mm. There is an extreme of the spectrum. Gohar Shai is that extreme level of ignorance. Yeah. Uh, Gohar Shai was one example that was covered, but there are many others, even who are extant today in Pakistan, uh, faith healers, these uh, faith healers that you have in Pakistan now. Some of them come over here. Sometimes we see that they come over here, conduct huge gatherings. I mean, all it takes is one of them to have megalomaniac thoughts and a narcissistic personality that from claiming to be a mujaddid, it can rise to being claiming to Mahdawiyah, being Mahdi. Hmm. And na'udhu billah, nabuwa, which is kufr to claim. So these are the things which uh, are highlighted in the book for a reason. The worst type is the one who will say, uh, he may be in a cult and he will say, I am not in a cult, that's other cults. Hmm. So anyone who says, uh, we are not in a cult, but they are in a cult, they need to re-examine themselves. Allahu Akbar. Brothers and sisters, there are many people out there who are in a cult, as the Sheikh has said, they don't realize that they're in a cult. They may be a part of a group that they think that they are doing good. We've managed to cover many aspects, many different subtopics of end of times. Um, sadly, this is uh, the end of the second episode. Inshallah, stay tuned and we'll see you in the next episode. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.